Hmm. Oh, the guide says we're not going to find Soego for some time. Well, that's not cool. Well, that's sad. Is this all to do in the bar? Yep, we are. We're done with the gathering bus. With well, we gotta come, come back and solve this Suego thing eventually. Um, I got hiccups. Okay. Let's see, in the Hive Mortuary area. We could have Pox smuggle us in. Let's see. Hmm. Let's go talk to Mourns for Trees. Uh, I believe we talked to Mourns for Trees before. Uh, regarding the seed situation. We had that black nettle seed, Done. but um, we didn't really talk to Morris or Trees about like his own troubles. We just talked about our problems. So let's talk to him about his own problems, or his problems. Morris or Trees, you see a tired-looking, sorrowful old man who is gazing at the ash-dead tree in front of him. Um, greetings. No greetings to you. How's the day find me? Finds me well. How's this day find you? He shrugs and proffers a bit of a smile. Fortune finds me well enough. I'm sad and just the same. Why is that? He pats the tree beside him. It's the trees here in the hive. They're dying, friend, and no one cares. Seeing the look on your face, he holds his hand up, as if to silence you for a moment. It may not matter to some, but it's important to me. I feel it's a shame to see the last tatters of life and beauty in this world left uncared for to die. Can you understand that, friend? Yes, you're right. It's a sad thing. He seems surprised and boats out. Really? Oh, I mean, wonderful. Perhaps he would. He pauses and seems suddenly suspicious. He recomposes himself, speaking of his usual slow manner. In any case, that's good. I suppose you have some questions for me now. Hmm. Let's see. I did have some questions. Who are you? What are you doing here? Why are all the trees dying? Can you tell me about those? Let's ask why the trees are dying. Just look at your surroundings. Can you imagine anything? I think we've talked about most of this before. Um. Who are you? Uh, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm wasting time, if anything, friend. He sighs miserably. What do you mean? It's a long story. Not something the casual passerby would want to stand around for, I'm sure. Let's say that any efforts I've made to rouse the people here to action have been ignored. What is it you had wanted the people to do? I wanted them to... to... He seems exasperated, frustrated at his loss for words. The care! Is that so much, friend? He looks at you in earnest. Care about what? He pats the tree beside him. It's the trees here in the hive. They're dying, friend, and no one cares. Um. Well, we've seen this text before. Let's see. You're right. It's a sad thing. I had some questions. Huh. I guess we're supposed to be able to get him to believe in the trees. Uh, why are all the trees dying? Some other questions. Why are you here then? What do you mean? Care about what? Hmm. 
Maybe I already talked to him and agreed to believe in things. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm an idiot. When he says, I suppose you had some questions for me now. Option two is, no, not yet. What were you going to ask? For the first time, the man seems genuinely happy. Beaming. He explains, it's difficult for anything to survive here. Just look around and you'll see what I mean, friend. I'm not sure if it's possible for the trees to thrive here. Even if they somehow were to get enough light and clean water. Go on. He nods enthusiastically. But if enough people care, really want them to live, I just know they'll survive. They'll turn green again and flourish. Uh, I would, what? That makes no sense. He smiles knowingly, shakes his head. You're new here. I can see that now. You don't understand how things work in Sigil, friend. Belief is everything here. Everything. You could be right. I am right. I'm certain of it. A sense of conviction surrounds him like an aura. He seems to... He seems so unlike the man you first spoke to. That's all I'd ask of you, friend. Just care for them. Hope for their recovery. In time, should enough people want it, it will come to pass. Can you do that for me, friend? Yes, I'll help. Oh, that was a truth, by the way. You can say truth, yes, I'll help, or lie, yes, I'll help. We can be truly helping or not actually helping in our heart. Like some sort of Sailor Moon villain. Excellent, my friend. Excellent, I thank you. You've given me back my confidence, my purpose. Perhaps I can find others like you who listen. Perhaps we'll make a difference. What about your companions, friend? Would you speak to them on my behalf? Uh, Mort, what do you think? Huh? Oh, yeah, Chief, sure. Whatever you say. I'm serious, Mort. Can you make the effort? Mort looks at you for a while, silently, then nods. Yeah, I can. If that's important to you, I'll do it. Thanks. Dekon, could you help this man? One finds your request most intriguing. Trees? In the hive? Like cities in limbo. They would stand as a testament to the will of the people not to bow to that which would surround and devour them to take care of what has been thrust upon them or left behind and make good of it. I, too, will care for these trees. Thanks, Dakon. Farewell, Morns for Trees. So we're supposed to get um, three different people, it says. Um, have more people you can... Yeah. So we don't even have three people in our party. Um, we can get Anna relatively soon. Uh, Ignis... <laughs> Ignis will never help. Grace helps with no requirements. Uh, Nordum, we can... If you're smart enough, you can phrase it in a way that Nordum understands. And Valor won't help. Um, so, let's see. Uh, so we're just gonna leave those three notes there. On who could potentially help. Okay. Barking Wilder. About our journal. There's a guy that talks about our journal. Hmm. 3516. Oh. Hive Thug got angry at us. Oh, Hive Thug ran away. Despite this other Hive Thug. I mean, the worst part about all these Hive Thugs is that you, you fight them, you get a copper, like seriously one copper. This guy had nine coppers or whatever. And then you get the, um, like you need thousands of experience to level up. 
Let's talk to Greeting. Let's talk to Barking Wilder. This wild-eyed man is hunched over, snarling and giving low growls. It looks like he hasn't trimmed his hair in years. It's so long, it forms a veil over his eyes. He has a long, stringy mustache caked with grease and sweat, and the tips of the mustache droop so much that they have become tangled in his ragged beard. Greetings. The man stops in mid-snarl, and he reaches up to part the curtain of hair that covers his eyes. As his withered hand pulls away his dirty locks, several strange, puce-colored bugs fall from his hair and scatter across the cobbles. Behind the cloak of hair, the man's flesh is moon-pale and creased with wrinkles. His thick, bushy eyebrows form a V as he stares at you. Hand take the moonfly, too? Uh, take your hand and fly to the moon? Not today, my friend. The man frowns, but his eyebrows tilt upwards in a reverse V, creating a bizarre expression. You have no idea how he accomplished the facial expression, but it makes you uncomfortable watching the muscles beneath the face shift into the new pattern. You can't tell whether he's angry, curious, both, or neither. Sing speak a man. Answer is brief for a wood woman heart. Uh... A single kiss speaks a woman's heart, but a man's answer is what you would prefer? Very well then, but know this. My answer is a question, and an answer from you is what I would prefer. The man seems mesmerized by your voice. With every word you speak, a light flickers in his eyes. Barker Wilder, am I? I am a wanting, asking a may you, you may. Hmm. I'm looking for a lost journal. Do you know where I might find one? He frowns, squinting his eyes shut, then opens them back up. When he speaks again, his voice is level and straightforward. It's like a different, saner person is speaking. The effect is eerie. More than one lost, more than one must you find. Each part of you had one, so more than one must you find. He blinks and shakes his head for a moment, as if surprised at himself then chuckles uneasily. Can you tell me Updated where at least one journal. of them is? It looks like he's about to object. Then suddenly his left fist comes up and smacks him in the temple. He howls in response, then suddenly stops, blinking. One is in a cupboard in your guest room in the halls of the Sensates, and another is on the walls of a tomb sealed deep beneath the city where the stones weep. The others are... Before you can finish, his right fist comes up and smashes him in the face, causing him to yowl again. He blinks and shakes his head for a moment, as if surprised at himself, then smiles uneasily. Hall of the Sensates? Where's that? Barking Wilder holds up his hands. He doesn't seem to recall what he just said. You said one was in a sarcophagus beneath the city. Where? Barking Wilder looks frightened for a moment, then points upwards with a hopeful expression. Ah, uh, there? He gulps. He doesn't seem to know, and for some reason, you believe him. <sighs> Forget it then. I'll try and find it on my own. Well, as a tree one snapped branch too many, Mort rolls his eyes. No sense in chatting with Zausitz, chief. They're a barmy bunched. Zausitz? How do you say this? X-A-O-S-I-T-E-C-T-S. Zausitzists? Chalcetests? tests. I want to say that. They're a faction who don't have any rules, except don't keep one thought in their head for too long. They're sometimes called Chaos Men. No need to explain why. Uh, how do they get members? They just seem to attract members like flies. Well, members that are crazy or chaotic enough, I suppose. I don't think they have any recruiters, though you really can't say anything about them for sure. I see. Thanks for the information. All right, we got, uh... We got a lot of cool information that we can't act on right now. Let's go into Fell's tattoo parlor. You see a Davis, but something about it strikes you as odd. It has the same shock of white hair, the same greenish cast to its skin, the same pair of goat horns. Then you suddenly realize this one is walking on the ground, not floating. For some reason, that makes you uneasy. 
Uh, Dakon, can you translate for me? Dakon nods. Ask him who he is. As you're about to ask, you suddenly realize you already know the Davis' name. His name is Fel. As if in response, the Davis inclines his head slightly, and a lone symbol appears above his head. It is blurry at first, then resolves into a white oval with a black lightning bolt through it. What did he say, Dakon? He is known as Fel. I had another question I wanted to ask him. Uh, ask him what this place is. Slow train of symbols materialize around Fell's head. The symbols take several moments to resolve, starting with simple lines, then fleshing them out into breathtaking colors. This is where I tattoo color and life upon flesh and bone. What did he say, Dakon? He places pictures on flesh here. Tattoos. Oh, I had some other questions I wanted to ask him. Um, I feel like I know you, Fell. Fell bows reverently, and a stream of symbols swirl around his head, rotating clockwise, then counterclockwise. It takes you a moment to translate. This is the first time, and not the first time, you have come to this place. So, as a reminder, uh, just because I, I feel like maybe it's it's been a little while since we've tried to talk to a Davos. The Davos speak in these like weird rune puzzles that float around their heads. And my character has learned to translate it, but I'm asking Dakon to translate for me. And um, that's because I happen to know that we can catch Dakon in a little bit of a, a little bit of a translation error and then call him out on it. Um, so, so my character is reading in parentheses his own personal translation, and then I'm asking Dakon for Dakon's translation. Let's see. This is the first time and not the first time you have come to this place. What did he say, Dakon? He has split his speech with a contradiction. Dakon pauses for a moment, his black eyes swimming across the symbols. He says it is the first time you have come to him. He says this is not the first time you have come to him. Does he know who I am? Another series of symbols materialize quickly and sharply into focus above Fell's head. The translation comes to you just as quickly and sharply as the symbols themselves. And as if you have translated the exact same string many times before. Yes, but I am not permitted to tell your story. What did he say, Dakon? You are known to him, but he cannot tell you what you want to know. Updated my Why journal. not? For a moment, there is no response from Fell. Then a stream of rebuses appear, as if trickling out of Fell's mind. My apologies, I cannot... I cannot change the nature of a man. You can't explain why, but the last sentence sends a crawling sensation through your skull. What did he say, Dakon? In place of an answer, he surrenders an apology for his silence. Dakon pauses for a moment, and when he speaks again, his words are like ice. He says that he cannot change the nature of a man. As Dakon repeats these words, you feel a terrible pressure in your head that fades with the last word. I had another question I wanted to ask him. Uh, Dakon nods. Let's see. Um, so I asked him what the place is, and I asked him, I feel like I know you. What lies beyond the curtain, Fell? Yeah, there's a curtain at the back of the shop. A caravan train of symbols slowly materialize on Fell, one by one. It is my gallery. Your discarded skins are my canvas. I admire you. I am saddened for you. What did he say, Dakon? This is his gallery. He says that he knows you as his canvas. He shows respect to your strength with his admiration. Dakon is silent for a moment. Then he insults you by giving you his pity. His pity? Another caravan of symbols form around Fell, this time forming a circle. The mark of torment lies upon your flesh. Tragedies and loss have built themselves upon it, like stones upon a fountain. You have endured great pain. What did he say, Dakon? 
He pities you for the scars torment has left upon you. He says you have endured. In enduring, you have grown strong. What does he mean? A long string of rebuses appear above Fell's head, then surrounds his arms like manacles. I admire you because you have never surrendered to the weight of these losses, despite the fact that their chains hang on you still. What did he say, Dakon? He says his admiration is known through your enduring of loss. He says loss hangs upon you like chains, yet you still stand and walk. Ask him to go on. A long string of rebuses appear above Fell's head, then falls, covering him like a cloak. These losses blanket this life and all of your past ones. You shed lives like a molting serpent. You are exploring the infinite paths of life. What did he say, Dakon? He says loss covers this life and all the ones you have that have come before. He says you molt like a serpent, leaving these lives beyond you as you walk all of life's paths. Does he say anything else? A long string of rebuses appear above Fell's head, then fall suddenly to the floor, streaming out behind him like a shadow. Take with you this warning. Each of your lives cast a shadow on existence. You must travel to a place where these shadows have gone mad and regrets have scarred the earth. What did he say, Dakon? He would have you know this warning. Each of your lives casts a shadow on existence. Your path will take you to a place where the shadows do not know themselves and the walls are made of regrets. I see. Does he say anything else? A brief series of paper-thin rebuses appear in an orderly row next to Fell, then vanish into glowing moats. Do not sign anything. But what did he say, Dakon? He says, do not sign anything. Very well. Another series of rebuses appear, forming a spiral. They have the texture of a question about them. Do you feel complete? But what did he say, Dakon? Yes, if you know yourself to be complete. Hmm. I can say a truth. I, I don't know. In fact, ever since I woke up in the mortuary, I feel like something's missing, something inside. Um, Hive Marketplace. Let's have a look. Office of Vermin Control. Northwest. All right, we're just gonna control F for Fell. Oh my gosh. There's there's nothing in this entry. How about tattoo? Uh Hmm. Oh, I see. Cuz I had match case on and I typed fell with lowercase. Yeah, yeah, I see. I see that was my that was my fault. Um Huh. Okay. All right. I'm going to say something's missing. Fell nods, and a series of symbols appear materialize in a halo about him. You are strong. Keep faith, and you shall become whole again. What did he say, Dakon? He pays respect to your strength. He tells you to keep faith. Then you shall know yourself again. I'll try. I had another question I wanted to ask him. That was all one conversation path, folks. Uh, ooh, he mentions that he'd met me before. Does he know how I died? Fell does not respond for a moment. Then slowly, menacingly, three shadows materialize above his head, each of them casting... Oh, three symbols materialize above his head, each of them casting a long shadow. Shadows. What did he say, Dakon? Shadows. Shadows? 
three symbols swirl about each other, each leaving a faint black misty trail about them. They take on a ragged edge, like teeth and talons, and multiply. Where there were three, there is nine. Nine becomes twenty-seven, until the room is a swarm of shadows. Many shadows. They streamed from the darkness, swarmed you, then left you to die. What did he say, Dakon? He says many shadows came for you. Their reason for taking your life is not known to him. Hmm. I had other questions. Do, 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 do. Can he tell me anything about these tattoos in my body? And then we'll be able to ask what tattoos you had available. Bell studies the tattoos for a moment, walks around you. He mirrors each symbol as he exclaims it, then returns to face you. I know them. None are by my hand. What did he say, Dekon? He says the tattoos are not his. Oh, can he tell me anything about them? Bell nods, symbols appearing around him like fireflies. The ones upon your back were scribed by a careful hand and are directions for a mind that forgets itself. The symbols that lie upon your left shoulder is the mark of torment. What did he say, Dakon? The symbols upon your back are directions left to yourself. The mark upon your shoulder is the mark of torment. He says the mark lies upon you because the flesh knows that it suffers, even when the mind does not. Uh... Interesting addendum there, Dakon. About that knowing stuff. Alright, can we see what tattoos he has available? Um... Two of accuracy. 300. Let's see, we got 800 gold. I can get a uh, plus one to attack tattoo. Plus one to damage tattoo. Plus one to strength tattoo. There's three of those available. Plus one to intelligence. There's a plus two to strength. Plus two intelligence. Plus two to intelligence. Plus one to wisdom. Plus two to wisdom. Plus one to dex. Ah, plus two to dex, which means we have plus one con, plus two con. Here we go, plus to charisma, plus two to charisma. So we need 400 additional gold, and we can get plus two to charisma. Um, tattoo of bonus hit points. Tattoo of bonus armor class. Hmm. Well, we certainly want... Let's see, it looks like we get three tattoo slots. So we're gonna get some bonus charisma. And then we could get like armor and constitution or something. Plus one to hit. I don't know that plus one to hits is useful. Our armor class is only 10, so... Plus one or two to armor class would probably be useful. Um, severed arm. Oh, is a severed arm that's like a, a quest item. Um, alright, so, we can skip through here, we talked to Bark, um, we don't have 1200 gold, Oh! Okay. Alright. If we go to the bar... Hmm, we can pay 500 copper to get a thousand experience. Ah... Uh, ah! Uh, I mean, I kind of want that thousand experience, but... 
Maybe we'll do that another time. When we've got more copper. But apparently... We can talk to the bartender. And ask about the people in the tavern. You see a leather-skinned man with just a hint of ashen color to his face. His teeth seem sharper than normal, and his eyes are filled with the boredom that comes with having seen too much. His voice is nasal and clipped. You again, eh? What do you want this time? You again? What do you mean? Yeah, you again! You got a hearing problem or something now? You was in here about 15 years ago, got all bobbed up, smashed up the place, and left a pile of coin that wasn't enough to pay for the damages. So you plucked out your own bleeding eyeball, tells me you'll be back to reclaim it when you got 200 coins together. With 15 years interest, you got about 500 coins. You got the jink, pal? I got your eye. 500? That's ridiculous. He pauses for a moment considering. Tell that it is. Tell you what. Give me 300 and the eye's yours. Uh... Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. It's a deal. Here's your money. It's a deal. He produces a darkened, wax-stoppered, wide-mouthed bottle from his pocket. You hear the sound of liquid sloshing around inside of it, along with a heavier, squishier noise. Opening it, the stench of some sort of preservative, uh, preservative agent nearly makes you gag. Floating in the viscid muck is an eyeball. You better figure out what you want to do with that. Now you've exposed it to the air, you might as well put a pickled egg in the jar for all good it'll do you. Make up your mind, Cutter. Pickled egg or not? Ah, tear out your eyeball and place this one in the socket. Oh, it's gross. With a moment's hesitation, you reach into your socket and pop your eye into the palm of your hand. The bartender... Hopefully... The bartender hopefully severs the optic nerve and directs your hand to the jar of goo that sits in the bar. You deposit your eye in the preservative. You wrap your fingers around the old one and slide it into your empty socket. The pain of this entire operation is incredible. After a moment, though, you can feel the optic nerve reattaching itself to this new eye. And suddenly, you're hit by a flash of memory. All right, let's absorb it. Memory Flash. A vast expanse of chaotic, ever-changing wastelands stretching before you. A group of humanoid vultures plummeting towards you. Cruel weapons ready to strike. And your own shining blade clutched tight in your fist. Memory Flash. Three tufts around you and the colors of an enemy you can't quite place. Long daggers glisten in their hand, and the light glints cruelly from their exposed teeth. You glance at your scarred hands, and know that soon they'll be covered in blood. Memory Flash. An enormous frog-like creature comes bounding over through under chaos stuff, headed for you with a mouthful of teeth. You hurl your javelin through the shifting matter and pin the creature to a sudden stone plinth. You have recalled some of your lost fighting skills. Um... Let's ask more questions to Barkus. So we got a weapon proficiency point, but we can't use the weapon proficiency points um, until we find a trainer. In, in the Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale games, you can assign them on your own. In this game, you get them and they stay in reserve until you find a trainer. Uh, hurry up, will you? I got paying customers. Uh, but we're talking to Barkus again. Uh, what can you tell me of the patrons here? I don't make it a point to interfere with the lives of the people who give me their hard-earned jink unless they ask me to. So, over there is Kandarin, Planeswalker. He's a good one to talk to about any planeswalking questions he might have. He's been pretty much everywhere. Down there is Eb Kariknes, an old Hamronian basher. Don't hold that against him. And a tout. He's got a good heart in him. And he knows Sigil up and down. Then, them fiends over there are Ethiglin and Tekarin. Word of advice, don't deal with them. They might be low rankers in the field in the fiend hierarchy, but they're still fiends. Then you got Ilkwicks over there, not trustworthy, and some mercy killers looking for some poor sod. Dak on the Gazera is a mystery to me. Don't know much about him. He doesn't talk much. Finally, uh, you interested in earning some free bub? Y yes. There's a bubber over there against the far wall, hanging about in the shadows, who's been trying to work up her courage to slip out without covering her tab. I want you to make sure she don't do that. You do it, you got free bub here for life. Um, let's see. I'll do it. I'll let you know when I'm done. So we got to talk to Mokai, who 
we talked to in a past game, but I haven't talked to in this game. I cannot initiate dialogue with Mokai. She appears busy. Oh, she's walking up to us. You see someone dressed in a female with as a female dresser in the half empty. We talk to her. Approach her. Hey, Cutter, buy a lady a drink. Uh, Barca says it's time for you to settle your tab. Pay up. She jumps a little, and her nervous tension becomes full-fledged anxiety. What are you going to do? Ask you to go pay up. Now. Um, I can't afford it. Can you spot me just 10%? I'll, um, give it to him, and he knows I'll pay the rest. How much do you need? Um, I think about 100 coins to get started on that debt. Oh, oh boy. Um... I can poison her drink with the embalming fluid. That sounds extreme. I'll lend you the money here. Take it and pay up now. Uh, lie, I'll lend you the money, but I don't have it. Answer some other questions, will you? I'll be back with some money. Okay, I'll lend you the money. <sighs> I mean, it's, it's certainly grim to imagine poisoning her to death with embalming fluid. Uh, let's see. Can you think of another solution? I'm going to ask her if she can think of another solution. Another way to pay? Ha! She smiles sadly. You could always, um, kill me. Uh... I could, but I'd rather find another solution. She looks at you for a moment longer, swaying where she stands, then saying, Um, alright, did you want something else? Yes, some answers. Oh, pay up your tab, asking you to go pay up. How much do you need? I'll lend you the money. She pockets her drink, glances briefly toward the door, almost as if she's weighing her chances of dashing out, sighs heavily as she realizes there's no chance, and begins to walk glumly toward the bar. Um, my thanks, I suppose. Don't mention it, and don't even think about heading for the door until you're paid up. Alright. So... <sighs> We've paid a hundred gold. Back again? What now? He won't be having trouble with Mokai again. Then, friend, you have full bar privileges. For free, anything you want, anytime. That must have been a pretty big tab she ran up. You don't know the half of it. You want a drink now? Send me right up. Uh, you want a drink? You got a drink. This is what we got for you. Beer, bitters, mead, elemental water, arborean fire wine and fire seeds, cursed heart wine, and Batorian whiskey. What'll it be? Uh, I like the idea of elemental water. Aborian fire wine and fire seeds also sounds good. I mean, my character's like a like a zombie-ish man. He's like pretty tough. I mean, he, he replaced his own eye a few minutes ago. Let's go with some fire wine. We can probably handle it. He passes a glass of deepest red wine and a handful of brightly colored seeds. Stick the seeds in your mouth, he advises, and take a swig of the wine. Don't be surprised when the seeds catch fire. Uh, they won't do you any harm. It's a taste like no other. He's right. When you pop the seed into your mouth, it mingles with your saliva and bursts into a tiny flame. You quench it with a swallow of fire wine, and the taste is indescribable. Barca smiles. You want another? Not right now. Farewell. That is cool. Uh. Um... Let's see. We can talk to the planeswalker who's in here. All right. Assuming I haven't already got the negation token. Let's talk to Kandarin. Once again, you are struck by the insubstantial nature of this man's existence. Uh, and once again, you are riveted as he turns his pale blue eyes upon you. Have your travels brought forth what you need? Not yet. I had some questions for you. Perhaps I have some answers for you. Speak, and I shall tell you. What are you doing? Ugh. I... 
I am fresh back from negation, and I am trying to restore my essence before it slips away from me altogether. Negation? What do you mean? His eyes cloud over. I went to the inner plane to discover my true essence. I made the mistake of visiting the negative material plane in order to understand my body's urge to decay and the cycle of death in life. I thought myself protected against the ill effects of the plane with my magic, but I was wrong. The blackness of infinite nothing pressed in on my soul, and I was beset by shadows that sought to snuff out my very soul. I lost my way for a time, for an eternity, and nearly lost my existence. I could feel my essence falling away from me. I am even now half gone. Never will I return. How did you survive? How did I survive? He smiles tightly. With a piece of nothing that held back the nothing. Nothing can stop nothing, you know, and so I carried nothing in my hand to protect me. Do you plan to journey to the ultimate negation yourself? Have you the smell of desperation about you, and so I make you this gift? Hold it in your hand when the shadows press in, and it should protect you and your friends somewhat. Should they remain close to you? Heh. He passes you a small black token that looks as if it has no dimensionality to it at all. Thanks. Farewell. <sighs> so we have a negative token. Special ward against shadows. Special holds shadow creatures temporarily at bay. This is a negative token. A flat black disc that appears to have no substance to it at all. Turning it over reveals that it has no third dimension. There is no thickness to this, uh, from an, uh, to this item at all. It gives you some command over creatures of shadow. You can command them to stand still for a few precious seconds. The more powerful the shadow, the less likely it will obey your command. As an added benefit, as long as this coin is carried by any of your party members, it acts as a ward against shadows. It will not prevent shadows from attacking your group, but the shadows will find it more difficult to harm you while the token is carried. Yeah, we get some sort of AC bonus. It's just as long as it's in the item. As long as it's in our anyone's inventory. Oh. Uh. We can uh, put it in a belt slot. So it doesn't take up an inventory slot? We'll do that, I guess. Done. Um... Let's see. Is Mort level 5? No, he's not. We're... F oh, 5,000. Mort is 5,000 experience away. Alright. Um... Let's see. Anything else to do in the bar? Oh. Oh. Ilquix is a demon that you can attack if you want. A 70 hit points, AC minus 7. Well, so my Thacko is 16. So to put that in like 3rd edition terms, his armor class is 27 and my attack bonus is 4. So we can't realistically fight him. Uh... Let's see. Alright. That's it for the Smoldering Corpse for now. Someday we can get the, uh... Oh, what was I gonna say? Someday we can get the flaming... Oh, I. by the way, I should mention, I kind of didn't mention this. There, it, it's a bar, and that's cool and all, but in the middle there's a floating flaming man it's named Ignis. You can you can talk to him, I guess. Examine this the this crackling, billowing creature twists slowly above an iron grill upon the floor of the bar. It may have once been human, but now its skin is charred beyond recognition. Streams of fire form a wreath around the creature's body, and the flames lick at the few at the few remaining pockets of flesh causing them to bubble and run like wax on the creature's skeletal frame. 
I can examine the smoldering corpse. Heat surrounding this creature is incredible. To your surprise, the iron grill the creature floats above has sagged and bent from the heat. At first you thought the heat came from the grill, but now you realize it emanates from the creature. As you watch, flecks of ash drift from the writhing corpse and float slowly to the ceiling. Leave the thing alone. We can actually get him in our party later. Uh, it's not impossible. Let's see. Well, gosh, it's it's been an hour and 40, so I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to call it good for here, and I bet we're going to have two episodes out of this one recording session. Um, and, uh... Do I have anything else to say? Oh, yeah! Um, if you like the podcast, tell a friend. Look at the Patreon. Message me on Twitter. Plug, plug pluggables and stuff. Um... What did I... Here's here's something that I could do. Uh, I could talk about things... I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, and um, usually while I'm at work. Let's talk about some of the stuff that I listen to today. Um, the Skeleton House podcast is uh, really good. They're, I guess their first season is over, it seems like, and they're going to start on the second season t- soon. They're playing some sort of, uh, like a puzzle. I wouldn't say maybe it's it's like a like a a detective investigation adventure game uh, called Deadly Premonition. Um, and that's cool. I listened to an episode of Milk in It, a flavored milk review podcast. It's got uh, Dan K. What's the holdup? And Brian C. Oh my gosh! Come on. Come on, nameless one, you're interrupting. I'm going to pause the game. Here we go. Um, I listened to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. That was really cool. It's a person, uh, Jeff Aiken, or Aiken, Jeff Aiken. They they have uh, not too many episodes. It started in 2020. It looks like they do maybe every other week, every week, every other week, whatever sort of schedule. So, so they do Star Trek episode reviewy type things, but they're not reviewing for story quality, and they're not reviewing for for like believability or anything like that. They're they're reviewing for um, what are the good and bad leadership qualities that the different captains are putting on display, and other people that are in command when they're working with subordinate officers and when subordinates are working with superiors like what are the command styles of the different characters and like is it good how can we take these examples of command in like you know a fake military context and maybe use them in real world so that we can like better interact with the people around us when we're trying to get people to do stuff for us like either on the job or maybe not on the job um Because, like, sometimes there is a hierarchy and it's not, it's still not at work. And you still might be, like, trying to persuade people to do something for you. And so you gotta be a persuasive person or whatever. Um, I listened to My Year in Mensa, which is a four, it's just, it's only four parts. And it's about, um... Jamie Loftus joined Mensa kind of as a joke and then like went to one of their events and stuff and like posted on their forums for a while and it like basically the people in Mensa are like they're strange let me I'm gonna put it you can listen to the podcast if you want to find out what they're like but I'm gonna say that they're a little strange um there's one other show that I listened to that I want to talk about. Oh yeah, Starship Excelsior is a Star Trek fan audio drama. The uh, the dark, darkerprojects.com is I think the, the name of their website. They do a lot of Star Trek fan audio dramas and they're pretty much all good. Like, 
One of them is about Section 31, and it's maybe kind of cheesy because it has this like cross-dimensional rift thingy. So it's mostly set in Star Trek, but there's like a few little bits where they like go into another sci-fi universe's universe. Um, and maybe not everyone wants their universes to cross over like that, but you know, it's overall good. There's a, there's one about Section 31. There's one about um, after a plague that destroyed most of uh. It, it's a plague that killed a lot of people and also like people couldn't use warp above like warp one or something uh, and it like destroyed the federation and it destroyed all the great powers and then like 10 years later people are able to start building fast warp ships again and so they're like going around trying to reconnect the federation it had it's sort of like a cross between sort of like earlier timeline stuff where they're like definitely meeting new people and trying to build up the Federation. But also there was like, um, there was some good, like because they're going and meeting people that they've seen before, it just, it was a little bit different. I liked it. Um, there's one called Star Trek Outpost. I think I like Star Trek Outpost the most out of all this darker project ones. And also, it was, I think, one of their later productions. So, like, it had the highest production value because it had the most production, the, the most practice doing it. But Star Trek Outpost is really good. Um, and it's about uh, deep space, whatever the number, on the edge of some rift. And, uh, you know, it's like, a deep, it's like Deep Space Nine, but it's an audio drama. Um... With a different space station and, you know, a cast of interesting characters. There's, like, an engineer who has this Oberth-class ship that he works on and he, like, just wants the ship to be awesome and he, like, doesn't care about rules and regulations or doing anything else correctly as long as the ship is awesome. Um, and there's, like, this commander guy that sort of resents having been put on this deep space mission. The captain that's in charge of the space station is like kind of a jerk that wants to just get space station efficiency stats as high as possible and doesn't care about the actual quality of life of anyone living there. He just wants to have a good record so that he can get a promotion away from there. Um, the doctor is well done. There's a lieutenant who I like. Um, yeah. Yeah, Star Trek Outpost. Lokathor recommends. Lokathor recommends a pod... Oh, what's it? Lokathor has a podcast and he recommends things sometime. Um, Lokathor recommends Star Trek Outpost. If you like Star Trek at all, listen to that fan audio drama. I've been... I've been talking... It was like 45 when we stopped and now it's at like 48 so i've been talking for a few minutes about recommendations i think we can stop here friends and be safe out there in these uh tumultuous and interesting times of ours <laughs>